You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. Welcome back to Thrive. If you've ever struggled with confidence or a lack thereof, today's episode with my new friend Jess is for you. After spending years in big corporate doing leadership development programs and realizing that other people saw her a bit differently than she was seeing herself, Jess Critchlow uncovered a few confidence archetypes that shine a light on how we each show up in the world differently, but confidently. Today on Thrive, we're unpacking those archetypes, plus she's got a quiz for you to find out yours. We're also diving deep into imposter syndrome and feedback and how to reframe both, as well as taking a lesson from Buddhist monks, whom Jess studied with in England, on detaching from outcomes for an ultimately more fulfilling life. Stay tuned through this conversation. Drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to. And now, welcome Jess. Erica, thanks so much for letting me come play with you. We're going to have fun. We're going to just dig in the sandbox today. (laughs) I know. As soon as we hopped on, we were like, ooh, we're the same energy level. We could vibe all day. We could probably (laughs) talk for hours. So I'm sure this is going to be a really good episode. (laughs) Oh my gosh. All right. So you spent like a decade in big corporate running leadership development programs. You've been a TEDx speaker. You're also a mama. Um, also I feel like fun facts about you, are you selling all of your stuff to move to England and then also, mm-hmm. uh, studying with Buddhist monks. So mm-hmm. you're basically like the coolest person, but I'm going to pass you the mic to tell your story, uh, and kick us all off. Oh, you know, it's so funny. Uh, a very good friend of mine is a digital marketing expert. And I remember talking to her a couple of years ago, I was like, you know, storytelling is this big thing and entrepreneurship and like, I don't have any stories. And she's just like, I've done some things. Yeah. Cause it's funny, right? We always think of our own story as like, who cares? That's just boring and whatever. And, and then it turns out it's actually interesting to other people. So yeah. So in, in an effort not to ramble on about too many things. Yeah. So I started my career in HR very quickly realized I'm a terrible HR person, but a great training and development person. So I segued into leadership development and soft skill training. I did that in corporate for 10 years and there was sort of this moment of, okay, I was like, everyone thinks I'm confident and I'm not. So what's happening? So I was like, I know I need a promotion. So I hired a coach. I did all this. Like I paid for all my own training courses. Feel any different inside? What's Oh no, the plan didn't work. So that is where I really was like, okay, I need to dig into this whole thing about confidence because everyone thinks I'm confident. I know I'm not. How are we seeing it differently? And that kicked off about, well, continuing, but a good five solid years of coaching, coach training, Buddhist retreats, meditation training. Uh, you, you name a workshop. I probably went to it to, to, to figure out like, what, why is my brain not matching what's happening in the outside world? Um, And then, and then I was like, actually, I like this enough that I kind of want to help other people do this in their business and in their work. So that's what I do today. That's awesome. So were you a super confident kid or did you, did it really just kind of like hit you where you realized other people were viewing you a different way than you thought of yourself? Yeah. The moment I realized it, actually, it, it, it is, it did start before my career in corporate. The, The moment I realized it was in high school. 
I got voted as, and this is where you're going to roll your eyes and it's okay. Listener, roll your eyes. I get it. I got voted as valedictorian of my graduating class and it shocked the ever loving bleep out of me. Cause I was like, what, why, why me? I'm just the nerd who gets some good grades, but like, I'm not cool. I don't like, I have like three friends. I don't get it. Um, and that was the first inkling I ever had that other people are seeing something different than I am experiencing. And then I kind of forgot about it, went away to university, you know, got into corporate. And that's when it started to hit me again, that there is a disc, like something is happening that doesn't make sense to me. People are seeing me differently than I see myself. So what is going on here? Yes. Okay. So that's also, I feel like you have the flip experience where there's some people who are not necessarily viewed positively by their coworkers or by Mm -hmm. family members or whatever, and have to kind of figure it out for themselves. Like, it's not like this, uh, external boost or support system Mm -hmm. saying, Hey, we see something in you that you don't see. Like, honestly, dude, I wish more people had that. So (laughs) how do you think that people can really dig inside themselves to see that in, in them first, if they aren't fortunate enough to have people on the outside going, Hey, you seem really cool or really smart or whatever. If instead it's the polar opposite of people going, you're not smart enough, or you're not good enough. And you have to figure out, wait, but like, what is, what is the truth about who I am and what can I be confident in? Or what should I be Mm. confident in? Oh, it's an interesting question. And to be honest, I actually think they're flip sides of the exact same thing, which is this. And, and I did, I did learning and development and performance review programs in corporate. So trust me, I've done this with thousands of people. And I can say for sure, feedback will never tell you about you. The good feedback won't tell you about you. The bad feedback won't tell you about you. It will only ever give you information about someone else's experience. That does not mean it's useless information. It just means that it's not this objective truth. So let me give you an example. A really good example I hear people do all the time is they say, okay, so I ran this program with my clients. The the overwhelming feedback was that module two didn't work. So I'm going to take out module two. I'm like, no, (laughs) that is not, that is not the conclusion to draw from that. The conclusion is their experience of module two was not useful. So it could be a number of things. It could be module two just needs to be taken out. It could be you taught it the wrong way. It could be you didn't set expectations at the beginning of what module two was even about. So it doesn't mean the data is useless. It just means you have to filter it through all kinds of things before you can use it. One is the person even a stakeholder. I had a client the other day say, oh, my brother says like, I'm not a good software developer. I'm like, has your brother ever worked with you? No. I'm like, then not useless, not, not useful source of data at all. I'm sure he loves you. I'm sure he means well, but he's not a stakeholder. So one is to does a person know a stakeholder Two, what can you do with that piece of data? Because you can never take feedback at face value ever like the good, the bad, the ugly, never. You can only ever take it as a data point and then figure out how to use it from there. Like, what does it actually mean? So that's the big thing that I always say is feedback is never, ever, ever about you. It's just not. So that's one. And then two, to your point, if the people in your life do not think you're amazing, you'd need new people in your life. Mm, yeah. Like you just do. Like we are social creatures. We just are. And whenever someone says to me, I want to learn how to not care what people think, I'm like, well, good luck changing out your brain for a different mammal's brain because a human brain cares what people think, but whose opinion matters. So if no one in your life is pumping you up, you have no champions, no cheerleaders, you need to get better people, my friend. Like seriously, start inviting people for coffee, find new friends. Like <laughs> you, you need people who are like, you are amazing. Mm-hmm. You need that. It's a non-negotiable. 
That's so true. And I've actually always wondered that myself because there's so many self-help gurus out there who will say, you know, like other people's opinions of you are not your business, or you really just have to not care what people think. And I've always naturally been someone who totally cares what people think. Like as much, there are some things where I can brush past it, whatever. And it's been a journey, but there's always still that little piece where you're like, Ooh, that stings. You're like, Ooh, I, I feel that. And then there's always that part of me going, how do people not feel that? So it feels really good (laughs) to Mm -hmm. have that, you know, that confirmation that like, actually that is just called the human brain. So welcome to being human. Welcome to the human experience where you are social (laughs) and your brain is wired to care what people think. That's how it works. It's so true. But, uh, yeah. So speaking of caring what people think and and friendship, um, I took the confidence quiz on your website, which is Mm -hmm. so cool, by the way, everybody listening, what is it? Lightupworks.com slash confidence quiz or something slash quiz. (laughs) I think it's slash confidence dash quiz dash page. I just pulled it up. (laughs) There we go. Okay. (laughs) Type that into the browser. Just go to lightupwork.com and you will find your way there. I make sure people don't miss it because I love it. Yeah, it's really good. So it's basically like a BuzzFeed quiz on steroids. I found myself totally engrossed in like three seconds. So apparently I am the best friend archetype, which said, it said my signature strength is relationship building. And my core confidence comes from um, uh, my emotional intelligence and being able to motivate people to move in a certain direction. So Mm -hmm. I started to read into this archetype that you have there. And really I felt seen. I was like, wow, this is actually pretty spot on. So talk to us about archetypes, what some different Mm -hmm. ones are, maybe what they mean, um, and how people can like take that and use it with their life. So it does not just feel like your average Buzzfeed quiz or personality inventory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, so, I mean, my background in training and my, my degree in university, it is psychology. I'm trained in some different personality assessments that are not like what dog breed are you? Which by the way, I love a quiz. <laughs> Hence why I created one. If it's like, what type of dish soap are you? I'm like, so I want to know what to type know. of dish soap. Yeah. Are so, you know, this is somewhere in between which dish soap are you and a valid, reliable psychological assessment. It is kind of in the middle. Um, and really I'll tell you about kind of why I created it. And then I'll give you a few kind of examples. So what I was noticing with the, the people I work with, everyone kind of thought confidence was this one thing this one way of showing up, this one way of speaking, this one way of communicating, this one way of presenting. And that's just not been my experience. It's not been my lived experience. And it's not been my experience in helping other people show up, take action before they're ready, be confident. It looks different for everyone. What feels and looks confident for me is going to be very different from the next person. You know, like I was at the park the other day, there was another mom and I gave her my card to say, I'd love to hang out sometime. And you guys that some of you are like, yeah, big deal. I do that all the time. I honestly felt like I was going to throw up in my mouth because I was sweating. I was like, oh my God. But you throw me up on a stage and I'm like, cool, I'm fine. It doesn't mean I'm less confident than you or you're more confident than me. It means we show up in different ways. So that is kind of where the quiz came from to give people a view into their version of confidence to get them started thinking about it. And there's a few different archetypes and it's based on some Carly, Carl Jung work and it's based on the MBTI and it's based on um, DISC and some other assessments that I've done and kind of played with them in this way. Um, so the best friend, that's you, love it. Um, I am the jester archetype. Oh, So the jester archetype is this light, playful, silly type of energy. And the confidence comes from you know, I call it speaking truth to power, but almost using that really dangerous clown (laughs) kind of persona to create real change. 
right? Because if I'm just being silly and not, you know, not speaking truth, not encouraging people, not coaching, then I, then I don't feel confident. And I feel like, well, I'll just stand in the corner and do a knock-knock jokes, I guess. Right. So it's kind of like, how do you use that energy to feel on purpose? You know, there's the ruler. That person is all about leading. They feel confident when they have a group of people that they're bringing in one direction. Um, there's the warrior. The warrior needs a just cause. They cannot just sit in their office and be like, do, 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 do. I guess I'll do some socials today. They need a cause that they're passionate about, that they are creating change around. That's that warrior type. The rebel type, very similar, but theirs is like, I'm going to rage against the machine. You know, like they feel most confident when they're being a little bit subversive, going against the way of doing things. That's their taker, right? That's that nurturing. Their confidence comes from nurturing others. So, uh, you know, the mystic is always the like, once they've read their tarot cards or like look, checked their human design or like just stopped and felt into what their intuition says. That's when they're like, okay. I'm on it. And none of these are better or worse than the other. They're just different ways of showing up. And so that's really where the quiz came from is figuring out what is your way, just giving that little nudge of what is your way to show up and be a badass. Cause it's not going to be the same as my way. It's not going to be the same as Erica's way. It's not going to be the same as your neighbor's way. It's your way. So this just helps nudge you in that direction. Totally. Are you familiar with the Enneagram too? Yes. Yeah. You, Which, what yeah. are you by the way? Can you guess? You must be a seven, surely. Right? No, no, really? I'm not. Oh, give me. Oh, now I'm intrigued. What I'm a three wing two. Oh, I wouldn't have guessed that. Really? It makes sense. And I'm thinking about what resonates true for you with your Enneagram. All of it. <laughs> oh, I kid you not. I'm like a, I'm like a textbook three wing two. Like you read that and you're like, oh, yep. Oh, that's now I know it. Erica. They've seen my soul. Mm -hmm. I probably should have mentioned I was also valedictorian in high school. So maybe that would have like, except we didn't, they didn't vote for us. That was more just like ranked or whatever, however they right. did it. It wasn't okay. like ranked by the people. So it, it was, wasn't a democratic uh, process. No. Also known as a popularity contest in high school, but yes. Yeah. I did not win that. So <laughs> I lost homecoming queen by three votes. So that was <laughs> That was mine. I'm more the, I was more the, uh, achiever one. So, um, I yeah, I was a three wing too. So how do you think archetypes differ from something like the Enneagram or some of the other personality type tests that you're familiar with? Well, one, one way archetypes differ from a lot of assessment, but, but actually are quite similar to the MBTI. If you get dig into MBTI and disc, this is a similarity, which is we all have all of them. Right. So there's at no point you're like, I am this type, like I am a best friend, but I'm not a warrior at all. No, the archetype, the sort of archetype theory is we all have every single ar archetype. Some are just kind of our home base, right? Like some is where we, where some feel like writing with your dominant hand. Some feel like writing with your non-dominant hand. Um, so that's one with the archetype is if it doesn't ring true for you, one, you have that archetype. <laughs> You have it in there somewhere there. It just might not be expressed in the way that, um, you know, that it's written up or expressed in a way that you think it is because the English language does give us, um, we have preconceived notions about different words, right? You hear warrior and you think of a certain thing and it just, you kind of feel a bit disconnect with it. Um, so that's one is we all have all of them. And two, I think, you know, where I think it differs is it is your internal experience. You know, like if you take my quiz and you're like, nope, that's not me. I'm like, cool. Then you're right. 
which I swear it's not just lazy psychologist. It is, you know, what is going on. The best thing you can do with an archetype report or really any personality assessment is just be curious. Be like, when, when do I show up that way? Cause it's not really ringing true. Ask some people who know you really well, pay attention to how you behave differently when you're stressed versus when you're super chill and when, like which archetypes show up in different times. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I always tell people is like, just be cu- like, be playful with it. I mean, I'm a gesture type. So of course I say that, <laughs> of course, very on brand, Yeah, very on brand. <laughs> but just like, be curious, be in, be curious about yourself and how mm-hmm. you, you show up and how you feel in different situations. Yeah. So talk to us about imposter syndrome too, and how that kind of creeps up in a journey of confidence, because I think it's safe to say that even the most confident people on the planet might still have Mm. moments of self-doubt or wondering, wait, am I really qualified to do this? Am I really Mm. good enough? Like it's not, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know if anyone has truly fully escaped imposter syndrome fully, Mm. but how do you think we can kind of get as close as possible to totally eliminating that or kind of, um, play playing since, you know, you're a jester playing, (laughs) like playing with that and talking to the imposter in our brain, as we are working on becoming more confident in our own archetype and who we are and in how we show up in any situation. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. Adam Grant, who, by the way, if you don't know who he is and you haven't checked out his work, do it now because he's amazing. Uh, I can second that. He was actually one of my professors in college and I officially am jealous of you. I'm not even happy for you. I'm just jealous of you. Yeah. Um, he wrote an awesome book recently called, uh, think again. I think Mm -hmm. that's what it's called. Think again. And this is not a slight to Adam, by the way, because he is magic. Yes, there it is. Think again. (laughs) This is not a slight against him. So he writes about imposter syndrome. It's like not the whole book, but it's, you know, a a page or whatever. And he says, imposter syndrome can be great. It it is great because it it gives you some humility. It makes you not be overconfident. It makes you not be arrogant about your view or the tools or the person you've decided on. It's great. And then there's an asterisk. And then if you check the little footnote at the bottom, it says, it's great for men. When women feel imposter syndrome, they don't take any action. When men feel it, they work even harder. I'm like, there it is. There it is. <laughs> there it is, Adam. So the thing you have to know about imposter syndrome in my experience is it, it can be great as long as it doesn't stop you from taking action. Imposter syndrome, whenever I feel it, and by the way, I feel it, I'd say at least once a day, usually on average more about five times a day. It's my reminder that I care. That's it. It's my reminder that I care. And it's my reminder that I'm being brave. When I'm sitting watching Netflix, which I was doing just before this interview, don't judge me. I was watching the making of back to the future. I didn't feel imposter syndrome. I was just chill. I was watching Netflix because I wasn't being brave, you know, and I didn't really care. So the first thing we have to reframe is "Ooh, imposter syndrome. Okay. Good sign that I care. I'm doing something meaningful and a good sign that I'm being brave. Amazing. What a great sign. So that's the first thing is know that it is a great sign when it shows up. The other thing that I like to remind people of is imposter syndrome. It is something that happens in our brain, right? Our brain is trying to keep us safe. That's what our brain does. And so it's like, oh, you're not ready. Just just go watch Netflix again. The other thing we have to remember about imposter syndrome, it it is also something that is done to us. So every time we know we're qualified for something and we never hear back, another little drop in the imposter syndrome bucket. Every time we're spoken over in a meeting, 
a drop in the imposter syndrome bucket. Every time we have a toxic boss or a toxic client who questions us constantly, questions us, questions us, questions us, drops in the imposter syndrome bucket. So yes, it is a good sign in that it means you're being brave and you care. And it is also something that is done to you. Those little experiences that are not okay, they do start to build this case for, see, you don't really know what you're doing see, you're not really qualified or they wouldn't be questioning you or they wouldn't be nitpicking at your quote or they wouldn't be constantly talking over you. So that's that's the two things that I like to remind people of when it comes to that imposter syndrome voice. That's so, so important, I think, for people to remember too because this is kind of where not caring about people's opinions does come into play, I think, because mm-hmm. you have to be able to discern when something is affecting you or in a way that you are internalizing, I think, mm-hmm. because I think that's where a lot of that comes in, where you're hearing it and you are, instead of just acknowledging what it is, maybe saying, oh, that's an interesting thought. And then moving forward, you're taking it in and you're giving it weight and you're giving it credence mm-hmm. and you're, you're letting yourself believe that to be true and giving that more credit than the other thoughts that might be in your head or that might've been told to you by other people that are positive. And I think that that's, I mean, I'm sure you know that too. That's also a psychological thing that we give negative Mm -hmm. things inherently more weight than positive Mm -hmm. things. But I think that's just something that is important for people to just start taking notice of like, huh, I think I'm internalizing that because I actually am believing that about myself. Now, is that actually true? Like I've said before, is it a capital T truth or is it a little truth? Like, is it something that is actually factual, true? It's sweared on the Bible. It is a a real thing. Or is it something that you think is real, but like might not actually be real. Like it's a monster under the bed when you're four, but it's not like an actual monster under the bed kind of thing. (laughs) Oh my God, Erica, it's so true. And this is something, by the way, to your listeners, you you don't even need to hire a $10,000 a day coach to do this exercise of question your thoughts. Seriously, if all of us questioned our thoughts, the world would be very different. Instead, a thought pops up and we go, must be true. Like, no, (laughs) 99.9% of your thoughts are just made up. That's fine. And that's fine. You don't have to be mad at your brain about it, but just... You do not have to have loyalty to every single thought that pops into your head, you know, and to your point too, like, (laughs) I mean, the other thing too, is like, even if the thought is true. So I had a boss who to this day, I know, I know didn't respect me. I know he didn't, but I believed that he didn't respect me. And then how did I behave as a result of that? Like, forget about whether it was even true or not. How did I behave? I was all awkward and passive aggressive. I didn't push my agenda. I didn't you know, I, there was so much more action I could have taken at the time, but because I had this belief that I was loyal to, I just, I didn't do all of the behaviors that are more in line with who I want to be. So like find, question the thoughts. And even if you're still convinced it's true, you better question how you're behaving as a result of that, because I can guarantee you it's probably not in line with who you want to be. Mm -hmm. So that kind of leads to, um, I wanted to ask you about, you know, like your time studying with Buddhist monks, cause that's kind of a cool experience that not all of us get to have on an everyday basis. Um, but I'm guessing that that helped you a lot with learning how to detach from outcomes, because I know that's something that is mm-hmm. taught. And I think monks are probably the best people to teach that. So, um, talk to us about 
maybe what that looks like and how to go about learning how to actually detach since obviously that does kind of go against what our brain naturally wants to do and might be a little bit counterintuitive to today's world of like Pinterest hustle and goal getting and being yeah. very attached to an end goal. So spill some of the, spill some of the <laughs> wisdom here that you got from the monks because the people want to know by the people. I mean me, I really want to know. <laughs> well, the, the first thing I do is, so the retreat, the, the Buddhist um, school that I studied with was in England, which you don't naturally think of Buddhism with England, but that's where I was living at the time. And one of the monks I studied with looked and sounded exactly like Jason Statham. It was very disconcerting, like this thick London <laughs> accent, like built, bald, huge British guy, and just like, you know, and now breathe into, I was like, oh, this is, I got to get my it, head around Was this. it Jason? I mean, it might've been, because I would imagine he's pretty Zen. But at the same time, I doubt he's in a forest teaching Buddhism to like a bunch of retreat people. So I don't know. But that's, that's, that's the first thing. So there's really two experiences that shifted things for me that I still think about. One, so we were doing a, um, it was the, the whole retreat was in this huge meditation tent in the middle of the forest in England. And we were doing a, um, a loving kindness it was about a two hour loving kindness, like really beautiful. And, and I, if anyone hasn't done a loving kindness meditation, first of all, you can like, you can go and YouTube it. It's amazing. Or find it on insight timer. Um, basically it's this idea of growing your ability to feel compassion for yourself and others in a, you know, in a short little nugget. And this person, uh, started crying really loudly during the experience <laughs> this is where you're going to know I'm not a good person. And I was getting really annoyed. <laughs> I'm trying to do this loving, this all about compassion and love. And I'm like, would that person shut the F up? I'm trying to love here. And then I, I just, was like, they were a plant. They were a plant to test you. <laughs> uh, I was like, uh, I, they might've been, cause it was, it was very loud crying. And I was like, oh, okay. I've, I've set this vision of what this experience is going to be. It's going to be quiet. Zen, I'm going to feel love for the world. And instead I'm annoyed with this person for crying. I was like, oh, I'm doing this to myself. So this, this was my first huge, I mean, it, it was a profound realization to me at the time, which of how much my expectations are, are the only thing that really mess with my experience, right? Like when I think someone should respond in a certain way that messes, only messes with me. You know, it was the same moment I realized I don't, at the time I've worked on this a lot. I don't apologize me feel better about my screw up. You know, it's that thing of getting clear on your intention and, and that sounds so annoying, but, and, and just letting go of your expectation. And I know you're like, yeah, but how practice <laughs> It really was a moment. Like I had that profound realization of, oh, I'm causing all my own problems. Cool. Okay. And then the next day, like the next week when I was back in the office, that was gone. I was just like, oh my God, Robin accounting needs to. And I'm like, oh, okay, breathe, breathe. So that was one thing that I was like, oh, okay. The other one that I think might be, might be interesting and useful is it's my, one of my mantras now is we're all just ants on a tree. Because one of the exercises we had to do is it was a walking meditation in the spring in England in bare feet, which by the way, spring in England, it ain't warm, but anyways, so we're walking through this forest in bare feet. And then we had to stop and contemplate just the forest basically. Um, and then when we were done, they'd ring a gong and we'd all go back. And of course I'm like, my feet are cold. This is stupid. Why am I doing this? Oh my God, I could be in a pub right now. Like, what am I doing? And I just sort of slowly sort of started noticing these ants going up and down this tree. 
And it was just this moment that hit me of, oh, that's us. Like that's humans too. We're all just rushing around, just ants on a tree, staying busy till we're dead. And I know that sounds like a bummer, but it's not actually, it's this thing of like, I can hold it all so much more lightly. Like, it's fine. You know, I'm not a heart surgeon. If you are a heart surgeon, please still take it seriously. But if you're not chill, it's okay. You can just do the thing, see what happens. And they were just ants on a tree. It's fine. So that, that is a big one for me is just noticing how, like, are you taking yourself too seriously? Cause you probably are. And you can probably chill out a little bit which ironically probably gets you better results because you're not holding onto it so tightly and trying to be perfect and trying to look a certain way. You just, we're ants on a tree. It's okay. You can chill. I love that. Do you think certain archetypes do better at that than others? Because immediately I'm thinking like my Enneagram three is going like, Ooh, that's a little, (laughs) like, (laughs) I don't really like the idea of chilling and not caring about goals anymore, but I feel like there might be some other archetypes or Enneagrams or whoever who are like, tell say no more. Like I've totally got this. So do you think that that's more of a challenge than others? And right away I'm going, Ooh, this is me trying to seek like validation that it's, (laughs) I can, that I can handle this differently because of my Enneagram and like looking for an excuse to not actually have to do that. But, um, it's, it's an interesting question. I can only give like, everyone will have their own probably answer to that. I can only experience with the people I work with. No, I haven't seen a correlation between which archetypes are better able to, even though, okay, I'm a jester. So you'd probably imagine it comes easier to me. Um, but actually my thing is like, I have to make everyone laugh. Everyone has to be having fun. This has to be good and light and playful. And I'm like, that is the opposite of holding things lightly. And so I don't see a correlation between which types find it easy or not. Um, but I do tend to see a correlation in how that shows up. So a caretaker is going to show up in a different way when they're like holding it lightly. They're they're not going to just suddenly not want to nurture people, but they're not going to be attached to the person's response. They're just going to show up, nurture in a way that feels right to them. And if people love it, great. And if they don't, that's fine too. Um, so it's less, it's less who finds it easy and hard and and it more the archetypes show up in, in how you do that in how you let go. Um, and by the way, there's a reason that monks live in like a monastery and don't have kids and don't live with their family of origin and don't run a business because this is hard. It's hard. And it will mess with your inner peace. Like you want spiritual development, have a kid, forget about going to a monastery, have a kid, start a business. There you go. There's your spiritual development. So know that it is hard. And that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It it means actually you're doing it right. Yeah. So true. We were literally just talking before we hit record about how we both have very young toddlers and run our businesses and some, and it's the weirdest parenting paradox, how you can just so fiercely love your kid one moment. And then you want to like send them off to eat (laughs) the next, like boarding school, boarding school. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, wow, one minute you're like, I'm the worst parent and the worst person. And like, I need to, and then the next you're like, oh my goodness, I would give my left give my, give my kidney and a heartbeat to this little fierce Mm. monster. So it's a, it's really a good test of pretty much everything. Mm -hmm. And you're just really thrown in the fire with it. So Mm -hmm. that's true. Oh my gosh. So true. Mm -hmm. And you know, my, my husband and I were actually just talking about this yesterday. One of the things that we try to stay really vigilant, but we, we fail more often than not, but what we try to stay vigilant with is not judging the feeling we're having 
You know what I mean? Cause there's, cause like I find my kids, I'm, I'm madly fiercely in love with them and I find them annoying most of the time because <laughs> I'm not madly in love with them. It just means they're young kids and they're a lot. And then if I layer on top this meaning I'm making of like, I'm a crappy mom because of that, or I shouldn't be thinking that, or I shouldn't be feeling, I should want to play Barbies for the sixth hour in a row going, I'm Francis and I'm floof and oh, it, mm. Right. So it's, you can't layer like self-judgment and self, you know, that sort of self-shame on top of the feeling that's already hard enough. Mm-hmm. You can like, it's okay. Just, just think it's hard and be okay with that. And that's fine. Yep. And I think that's another difference between men and women. Cause my husband does the exact same thing for me and will literally say like, Hey, it's okay to feel that like that, that, that doesn't automatically mean anything. It's just a feeling that you're having in a moment. It doesn't mean that you're a bad parent. It doesn't mean that you don't love your kid. It doesn't mean that they don't love you. Like there's no, I think that Mm -hmm. we, maybe it's just the, the female mind. Like we automatically will attach meaning and we're like, Oh, well that must mean X, Y, Z. And then what about this? And now that means that they're going to want to move out early and hate me. And they're not going to want to be my little BFF forever. Like we just, we go 30 Mm -hmm. miles an hour in the other direction So thank goodness that, (laughs) thank Mm -hmm. goodness that we have the balance of being like, Hey, like you, you give yourself the grace to just have the bad moment and let it just be the bad moment. Don't turn it into this big snowball effect that Mm -hmm. it's not even supposed to be. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's fine. Just feel the feel and you know, it's good. It's all good. Yeah. It's so true. Jess, I feel like I could literally talk to you for hours, but (laughs) I know we have to wrap it up. So I will ask, I will close out by asking you something. I ask everybody who comes on thrive and that is what does thrive mean to you and how do you strive to thrive in your everyday life? Oh my gosh. I am in the messy middle of figuring this out. So I will be as concise as my chaotic brain can with this. Um, you know, for me, I think you know, and I've been journaling about this a lot and talking to my coach about this a lot for this idea of thrive. Oh, it's so easy to make it external, right? Cause I, I run a modest business. I only work a certain number of hours a week and, and I'm like, well, I'm not quite at six figures yet. So therefore I'm not thriving. And it's like, ugh, I, I love what I do. And I love my clients. Like, why isn't that enough? Right. So, so for me, it's, it's, I'm trying to turn it more inward, not to say I don't want to pay my bills and make money. Cause I really love paying bills and making money and even paying taxes. I'm like, yay, I'm contributing to infrastructure. That's great. So I still want to do those number goals, but the, the thrive for me, I've turned more inward into, do I feel in flow? Do I feel like I'm doing the things that I love to do? Not all the time because bookkeeping still has to happen, you know, but is that a majority of my work day? Do I have energy to do the things that light me up? So yeah, so rambly answer because I'm still figuring it out. But for me, it's definitely the internal state of chill and fun and calm and just loving 80% of the day. 20% gets to suck. That's fair. But you know, 80%. I love that. So thank you so much for coming on Thrive. It's been so much fun in true gesture fashion, probably. Um, but tell everybody where they can find you online. If they want to connect with you more, if they want to take your confidence quiz, all that good stuff. Of course. And oh my gosh, Erica, seriously, we could do a six hour podcast. No one would want to listen to it. So we shouldn't do it, but we could, because I love talking to you. Maybe we we could, (laughs) maybe we, and we can just get some highlights for other people, but you and I could do six hours. Um, so yes, if anyone wants to hang out with me more, uh, 
you can head over to light up work uh, on Instagram. That's where I tend to hang out post probably too many pictures of my kids, but whatever, too bad for you. And then head to my website, lightupwork.com to grab the confidence archetype quiz and your report and just get some nudges on how you can own more of your way of showing up because that's where the power is. Wait, before you go, make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. Drop five stars on your way out if you like what you just listened to. And come join the party on Instagram at thrive.podcast to stay inspired and thriving all week long. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.